Thank you all for being back tonight to study another portion of God's Word and to worship God together. I uh, hope that you find value in these Sunday evening times together. We uh, go to a lot of effort to be here, and, uh, and I hope that uh, the things that we study and discuss on Wednesday evenings are beneficial and helpful to us all. Tonight, I want to focus on some problems and some troubles that plague many and probably plague us all in the audience tonight. I want to talk about family troubles. Family troubles can be great challenges to our faith. And I want to propose to you tonight that they can perhaps be some of the greatest challenges to our faith that will present themselves to us in our lives. Family problems have perhaps destroyed the faith of more people than any other problem. In your own experience, you probably don't have to think very long to come up with a list of folks whose faith was destroyed as a result of challenges that arose from problems in the family. And the problems that present themselves in families are numerous, their impacts are great, and their consequences have been the, the demise of many families and the faith of those individuals involved. I think it's important that we spend some time tonight talking about these problems that are present in families today. Satan's attacks on the family come in many forms. He has numerous tactics at his disposal, and he uses them because they are effective. Regardless of the approach, Satan's goal is always the same. He wants our faith to be destroyed. He wants your faith to be destroyed. He wants your soul to be lost eternally. It has eternal consequences that we need to be aware of. Now, as you're sitting there in your seat thinking about family troubles that are challenging to the faith of many and have shipwrecked the faith of many and have been the demise of families that you know of, you're probably thinking, about a list of really bad family troubles that plague millions of families in America tonight. We could have spent our time talking tonight about the list of those really big problems that are terrible and unfortunate. Problems like abuse and neglect and unfaithfulness that are a challenge to the faith of those who encounter them. But tonight I want to get a little more personal about this. Because I believe that Satan is so effective in his work that he is attacking our families. Every family that's a member of this congregation here tonight, I believe Satan is trying to attack the family and he's trying to destroy it. And the problems that we're going to discuss tonight are probably present in your family now or have been in the past. And you may have thought, well, these aren't really that big of, deal, of a deal. But the problems that we're going to talk about tonight are very, very serious and have eternal consequences such that our lives pulls them out and says that these problems and these sins in our lives, and in particular tonight in the lives of our family, will cause souls to be lost. Can we look at that together for a few minutes tonight? Because if we will understand these problems and address these problems head on, it will help us to be more like God would have us to be and help our faith to be stronger. The first problem that I want to talk about tonight as we talk about challenges to our faith that can be present in our families is the problem of speech. Our speech is of great importance, and we all understand this. We all know the verses that talk about how important our speech is. In James chapter 3, Beginning of verse 6, James chapter 3, verse 6, we read a stern warning about the way that we use our tongue. James 3, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame it as unruly as an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Our tongue is a deadly fire 
Our tongue is a dangerous member of our body that can inflict terrible harm, terrible pain, and it is directed many times, unfortunately, by hell, by the devil, our tongues. And many, no doubt all of us here tonight, are very careful about what we say and how we say it. And tell by the way we use our tongues that we're Christians, that we love God and we want to do His will. Therefore, the guys at the office ought to be able to tell by the way that I talk that I'm a Christian. The ladies in the neighborhood ought to be able to tell that you're a Christian by the way that you talk. And you're careful about that. When we're out among the world, when we're at the store, when we're at the sporting event, when we're doing our daily activities, we're careful to make sure that we're guarding our tongue because we want other people around us to know that we understand the danger of the tongue. And we want to present our tongue and our speech in a way that would glorify God. And many times we're even paranoid about saying certain things because of the implication that could be involved in that. We don't want to leave anyone with the impression that we don't care about God and we're not careful about our speech. But that's our public life. Can that be said of us when we're at home with our family? Can that be said of us when the doors are shut? The blinds are pulled, and no one else is around to hear but the family. Do we use the same restraint and the same caution with our tongues then as we do when we're out in public? How do you talk to your spouse when he or she just touched the last raw nerve that you had? How do you speak? What words and tone do you use in your language, when the kids just spilt their milk and it's running all out the side of the car seat that you just cleaned up yesterday from the milk that was spilled. Kids, how do you answer your parents when they give you an answer about a decision that they've made that you disagree with? How do you use your tongue then? If the warnings of Scripture apply to our tongues anywhere. They certainly have to apply to our tongues at home with our family. And sadly, with our family, those who are the closest to us and mean the most to us is a deadly fire. We must be on guard against how we use it in our families. We lose our temper. We fly off the handle. We let our mouth just run without any restraint at all, sadly, with our family. And when we do, we're damaging our family and we're endangering our faith and the faith of our family when we do so. James chapter 1, verse 9, tells us we need to carefully examine our lives and ask, are we doing what it says? James 1, verse 9, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. How many of the sins of the tongue that occur in our house behind closed doors could be avoided if we do what James chapter 1 verse 19 says? If we'd be slow to speak. If we'd be as slow to speak to our spouse or to our kids or to our parents as we would be to speak to the lady across the street or the guy in the Little League. If we'd use just as much caution and thought about what we said to our families, how many of those sins of the tongue could be avoided? And remember, when things are heated, when our nerves have been stepped on, when we've had it up to here and we're frustrated, we are the ones who are in control of what we say. And we need to be speaking the way that God wants us to be speaking. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, says it this way. Proverbs 15, verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft word turns away wrath. Now let me tell you, if you're turning away wrath, that means there's wrath to be turned away, right? That means the situation has been ratcheted up. It's escalated. Tensions are high. Someone is on your nerves or coming after you. 
and you don't have the liberty to just fly off at the mouth and speak anything you want to speak, you need to speak the soft answer. The answer that turns not only wrath, you need to do that, not only when you're out in public, not only with you when you're in the office, but when you're with the family. We need to be doing what Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says. Remember that you and you alone are responsible for the things you say to your family. You can't blame someone else for forcing you to say something you shouldn't say. You're responsible for how you use your tongue. How much better would our families be if we were careful to follow the instructions of the scriptures about how we use our tongues? For example, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but only speech that administers grace. Are you doing that in your family? Are you speaking words that encourage and build up and strengthen your family? Or are you speaking words that destroy and tear down and weaken your family? This is so vitally important. The speech that we use in our family behind closed doors has great implications to our faith. And it goes much farther that we say about our family, say to our family. It also includes the things that we say about our family. Men, do you talk about your wife at the office as the old nag or the old lady? Do the ways that you talk about your wives mirror what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husband lo Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we need to be speaking about our wives in such a way that reflects the love that we have for them. And wives, when it's just you and the ladies having a cup of tea, if you have a cup of teas, I don't know if things are calm enough to have cups of teas anymore. But when you're just with the ladies, are you speaking about your husbands in such a way that reflects the attitude presented in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6 says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Do you reflect this type of respect for your husband when it's just the ladies talking? And kids, what do you say about your parents when you're around other kids? Are you reflecting this, an attitude of respect for your parents that the Bible says you must have? In the Old Testament, showing disrespect for your parents carried a stiff punishment. Jesus is summarizing the Old Testament in Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. Matthew chapter 15, verse 4, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die the death. That was the Old Testament rule for how you were to speak about your parents. You were to speak with, to them, about them in ways that honored them. And if you curse them, you'd be put to death. I want to tell you, there'd be a lot less population growth today if we were still living in the Old Testament and following those rules. There'd be a lot fewer children walking around who didn't speak about their parents like they should. We don't live under that law today. But in the New Testament, we still have the same requirement to honor our parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Kids, you need to be careful about the way you speak about your parents. We've got to be careful about the way that we use our tongue. The way we use our tongue towards those who we love the most and who are the most important in our lives, our family. And sadly, we use the least care and caution in how we use our tongue when we're talking to our families. How big a problem is this? How big a problem does this present to us in our faith? It's a huge problem. James chapter 1 
verse 26. James chapter 1, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Everything you do religiously can be voided by the way that you use your tongue. And that's not just the way you use your tongue out in public. The way you use your tongue in your families can cause your religion to be vain. This is a huge problem and a huge challenge to our faith. We've got to be careful about the way that we use our tongue with our families. Next, as we look at challenges to our faith that are present in our families and the troubles and challenges of our families, I want to tell you there's a huge problem in our world today with providing for our own. One would expect something as simple as the obligation to work, to provide for one's family, to be so fundamental and so elementary that you wouldn't even have to talk about it. However, many times people do not feel an obligation to provide for their family. Gone, it seems, are the days when hard work was admired and praised and respected. Now, in our society, we have welfare programs that have made this problem of providing for your own a bigger and bigger problem. Able-bodied men and able-bodied women feel no shame to sit at home and take a check to not work at all. The instructions to provide for our family, though, are very clear from the Scriptures. Look over at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return to the ground. For out of it, it was, thou wast taken, and for dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return. Adam was told that he was to eat bread that he worked for. God expects us to be working for the things that we have. You've probably known as I have known of men with children and families to support who sat around and did no work at all. Even men who would have their wives go off to work so they could sit at home and not do anything at all. Men who are not providing for the needs of their families. But I want to tell you the instructions to work are not just for the men alone. The instructions of the Bible are for the women in the family as well, to be busy and active and working. Speaking of widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, beginning, Paul talks about this problem of idleness, and it's not restricted to just widows. But widows would be tempted with this problem. And widows are, were to be avoiding the problem of idleness, of not being active and not working. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. The problem of idleness and these other sins that are associated with it. Gossip, being a busybody, being a tattler, talking about things you shouldn't talk about. The result of being idle. The cure for that was for the younger women to marry and have kids and get busy. Don't be idle. Men need to be providing for their own, but women should be as well. Now, the focus of this passage and others is that a woman's primary concern is not her career, but her domestic obligations. Women need to be active in the home. Notice the example of the, of the, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter 31, I've selected some of the characteristics and traits of this woman, and this woman was not sitting at home eating bonbons all day. She was busy from sunrise to sunset. Notice her characteristics. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She bringeth her food from afar. She was going to the Kroger on the other side of town. No, she was working to provide the food that her family needed. She raise, rises also while it's yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. 
She's got to get up early. She's got to get up before the sunrise to get things ready that her family needs. She plants a vineyard. Lots of work associated with that. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands uh, hold the distaff. She's making cloth and yarn for her family. She stretches her hand out to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She is helping not only her family, but those who are in need. She makes fine linen and sells it. She delivers girdles to the merchant. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She's busy. She give her the fruit of her hand. Give of her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. This is a woman who's active in providing for the needs of their families. But the instructions to provide for our families and to be working aren't just for the mother and the father. Children need to be active as well. Children have the responsibility to work. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, Deuteronomy chapter 21, we see a mother and father here who have a child who is completely out of control. And notice the characteristics that this child has. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 19, Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and to the gate of his place. And they shall say to the elder, elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. This is a hard-headed, rebellious kid. And he's, they're getting, he's going to get the punishment that he needs. And notice one of the traits that he had is he's a glutton and a drunkard. Gluttony and drunkard, drunkenness are closely associated with idleness or laziness. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22 says, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Children aren't to be gluttons and drunkards. They're not to be idle. They're not to be lazy. Children are to be active. Children need to be working. I'm afraid parents today are failing to instill an understanding of the necessity of work for our children. We have a life of ease. We have a life of convenience. And sadly, I'm afraid our children are paying the price for that. They're not learning to work while they're children. I knew a man who had two able-bodied teenage boys who made his wife mow the grass because he said the kids are too busy. They weren't too busy to get a car from their dad the day they turned 16, a brand new one. But they were too busy to cut the grass. Before there's any expectation on them to be working to provide for their needs. I talked to a young man one time who was in college. Didn't really have an idea what he wanted to do for a living. Never had had a steady job. And he wanted to know about finding a wife. I told him he needed to quit looking. He wasn't ready for a wife. We need to be providing for our needs, and young people need to be learning about that. Young people, life is not all about video games and recreation and leisure and the next fun thing that we get to do. God wants you to be busy working. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to be teaching our children the things that God wants from them. We're to be training them and bringing them up to know what God wants from them as, when they get to be adults. And so parents, you're busy, I hope, training your kids in all manner of things. Tell, teaching them that they need to respect their elders. Teaching them that they need to obey the laws of the land. Teaching them that they need to be modest in their dress. Teaching them that they need to be careful about the way that they use their tongue and the things they talk about with their friends. Teaching them that they need to be faithful in their attendance at worship services. We teach them these things because that's what God wants of them. Well, what about work? What about responsibility? Are we teaching them that? Are we training them up in that? That is the nurture and admonition of the Lord, isn't it? That we need to be working. The problem that we have in our society today, and sadly the problem we have in the church sometimes, 
is not a problem that's new to this day and age. It is a problem that has existed even until, through, until the first century in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning of verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk, not, which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them which are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. In the first century, 2,000 years ago, there were lazy folks who were laying around and letting someone else feed them. And Paul says it shouldn't be that way. You need to be active and you need to be working. Mothers, fathers, children, you need to be working. We need to understand this. We need to be working at instilling this, this instruction in our children as well. We need to be providing for our own. How big a problem is this? How big a problem is this failure to provide for your own? What kind of challenge does it present to our faith? Cause us to be lost in hell. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If we won't provide for the needs of our family, it will cost us our soul. If we don't provide for the needs of our family, Paul says we've denied the faith. This is a huge problem, and it's a problem in families today. As we go on and look at challenges to our faith that are presented in the troubles and challenges of our family, I want to tell you the next one is a big one, and that is the problem with forgiveness. We understand, in principle, the need to be forgiving and to forgive others. We understand that, but we know in practice it can be challenging. Peter had this Matthew chapter 18, verse the challenge of forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Peter understood that forgiving people is hard, and he thought he was really going to get a pat on the back when he said, you know, what if I forgave someone seven times? And Jesus said, try again. Got to do better than that. Jesus is using hyperbole to teach us that we're never to stop forgiving others. But think about it. Seven times 70 is 490, right, kids? 490 times. That's an exaggeration. The lesson Jesus is teaching is that we never get done forgiving. But let's just say that 490 was the number of times that you had to forgive someone. Who on this earth would you come closer to having to forgive 490 times than someone in your family? Is there anyone that walks this earth that's going to have to forgive you more than your family? In our everyday relationships, if someone sins against us a couple of times, we'll forgive them. But you know what that's going to do to the relationship? It's probably going to tarnish it so much that you're not around them anymore to have to forgive them again. Let's say that the guy across the street does something to you that's hurtful. You get home from work, you've had a long day, you get out of the car, you're about to walk in the house, and Jim across the street comes running across the driveway. His face is turning red, and he says, I'm fed up with you. You never cut the grass, your yard looks like a junk pile, and I can't take it anymore. And he walks back to his house, and he leaves. You go in, you're don't understand what in the world just happened. And a few minutes later, Jim comes over and says, listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I've had a long day and things are really piling up and I've just had enough. I just, I just spouted off. I shouldn't. Would you forgive me? You say, yeah, Jim, I will. And he goes back to his house. A week later, comes back. You're coming home from work. Jim comes over and he gives it to you again. And he says, you know what? I'm sorry. Well, forgive me. You're going to forgive Jim. But chances are you're going to sneak around and not be anywhere around Jim. You don't ever want to cross his path again. 
But it isn't that way in our families, is it? If your husband or your wife sins against you and tells you you're sorry, they're sorry and ask for your forgiveness and you forgive them, your relationship isn't going to change. Is it? You're still going to be around them. And they're going to sin against you again and again and again. And you're going to have to forgive. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive, them, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Are you willing to forgive your husband or your wife or your children or your parents when they sin and repent and they do it again? And again, our forgiveness of others is to mirror the forgiveness that God has given to us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How many times has God forgiven you for things that you should have known better than to do? How many times has God forgiven you of things that you should have been beyond? Of things that you said you wanted forgiveness for another time? How many times has God done that? We need to forgive as God forgives. And we're going to have to do that more than any other time in our families. Because we'll be around each other more. And we'll have an opportunity to sin against each other more. And we need to be forgiving our families. And when God forgives, He blots those transgressions out. He doesn't recall them at a later time. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgression for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. God doesn't keep a list of sins. God doesn't keep a list of sins and say, you know what, Mark? You said you weren't going to do this anymore, but you always do this, Mark. And here's a list of the last 25 times that you've done that. You said you weren't going to lose your temper anymore, but you remember just last week you said that. God blots the transgressions out. He doesn't remember them. So how serious is this problem of forgiveness that we have in our families? It's going to cause people to lose their souls. The lack of forgiveness will cause people to lose their soul. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Jesus isn't just talking about the guy across the street. He's talking about your spouse. He's talking about your children. He's talking about your parents. If we're unwilling to forgive, God will not forgive us. Challenges to our faith. There are a lot of them in the family. And one more that we want to talk about tonight. It's not the, that is the trouble with priorities. We all, that's not the last one we'll talk about. I'm sorry. We've got one more after this. The problem of priorities. We say that we have our priorities in the right place, that we have things that are important to us, and we do. Things that we will do even if there are inconveniences in our lives that make doing the priorities that we have difficult. Exercise is probably a priority for some. If it is, you get up early or you make time in your day to walk or to run or to do some type of exercise. I know that garage sailing is a priority for some in the crowd tonight. If you have the priority of garage sailing, you don't get to sleep in on Saturdays, do you? You've got to get up and go to that garage sale to, so you can buy somebody else's junk and put it in your garage sale in a few years. It's a priority. Sports. Sports are a priority for some, and if the team that we want to watch is on, we're going to block out our schedule so that we're there, that we can watch the big game because it's a priority. Whatever is a priority, we go to effort to accomplish the goal that we have associated with that priority. And we have priorities in our families, don't we? 
Maybe it's sports for the kids. Maybe it's camping. Maybe it's some type of other recreational activity. Maybe it's things around the house, hobbies, gardening maybe. It's a priority. And if it's a priority, you're going to spend time out in the garden. You're going to make it a priority. You've got to get the weeds out of that thing. Priorities in and of themselves aren't a bad thing, but we've got to make sure that our priorities remain aligned with our allegiance and our service to God. Lot was a righteous man in the book of Genesis. But Lot's priorities got out of alignment at least once in Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, beginning of verse 10. Genesis 13, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Lot saw the green grass of the plain, and he was thinking about how fat his cows could get, and how proud he could get. And he didn't stop to think about what it would do to his family. His priorities getting out of alignment cost him greatly. It even cost him his wife. You remember God told them not to turn back? And Lot's wife turned back in verse 26 of Genesis 19, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Lot, how important is that green grass? Is it worth your wife being a pillar of salt? Not at all. Lot's priorities being out of whack cost him his family. And our priorities getting out of whack can cost us our family as well. What about you? What are your priorities for your family? Is it dad's career? Is it dad working his way up the corporate ladder? Is it the kid's education? Is it the kids getting a nice degree and a, and a prestigious, from a prestigious university? Is that the priority for our family? How about the athletic activities for our kids? Is that the priority? We all know that everyone's child has professional athlete all over their future, and that has to be a priority, right? Is that the priority? Is it recreation? Is it fun times with the family? Is that the number one priority? There's nothing wrong with these. But if they do take the number one spot, if they take the spot away from God that He demands, then we've sinned. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's us on an individual level, but that needs to be us as a family as well. Can it be said of our family... That our family seeks first the kingdom of God? That our family's number one priority is God and His will in our lives? Sadly, I'm afraid there are many families who may claim this, but in practice aren't living it out. Parents, we need to stop and think about this. What are we telling our kids when we go on vacation? We fail to worship God on the Lord's Day because we're on vacation. What have we told our kids? What have we told our kids is the number one priority? Is it God or is it having a good time? When we let the kids miss a night of the gospel meeting because they had a school function, what are we telling our kids is the number one priority? Are we telling them it's the kingdom of God? Are we telling them that school things are more important? What about when we let the kids stay home? And sadly, I knew a family who was doing this, letting their kids stay home on Wednesday night because they had a lot of homework to do. What have we told our kids is most important? Studying and learning about God or studying and learning about geometry or trigonometry or whatever the subject may be. And don't think that our kids aren't noticing. On paper, when we talk about those types of decisions and those types of shifts of priorities and getting things out of whack, 
We can all sit here and say, yeah, that's, that doesn't make any sense. That's obvious. You wouldn't want to do that. But in practice, are we doing things of that nature or similar? Our kids are noticing. Micah was two years old. And my parents went out of town on a camping trip. And I think we were on our way to services on a Sunday night. And Micah in his car seat said, Papa and Grandma aren't going to church because they're on vacation. Well, Papa and Grandma were going to church on their vacation, but it didn't seem that way to Micah because he wasn't seeing them at church. Priorities. Old. And he was learning these types of things about priorities. We've got to make sure that we've got our priorities in the right spot. And maybe priorities aren't all that important to you and your soul. What about your kids? Are you worried about their soul? Can you be concerned about your family's soul? How big a problem is this? How big a problem is this when we let our priorities get directed by the world? We let our priorities get out of whack. How big a problem is this? It's a huge problem. And it will cause souls to be lost again. Mark chapter 4, verse 18. In the parable of the sower, notice this. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. When we allow our priorities to get out of whack. When we let our priorities get out of whack in our families, it has huge implications towards our soul. And then finally tonight, I'll tell you there's a big problem in our families today in the area of love. The problem with love in our families is that our society has perverted what love is. And the devil has sold us a lie about what love is and how it should look in our families. Our society and the devil tell us that love is all about what you get. Television advertisements tell us that love is about getting sparkly jewelry or a bouquet of flowers. That's love. Movies and television tell us that when we fall in love, we're going to have wonderful things that happen to us. The birds are going to chirp and sing, and we're going to walk hand in hand through a field of daisies, and everything's going to be wonderful. That's what love is. Love is about what you get. And our society and also the devil tell us that love is some type of feeling that just happens to you. Two people meet, there's some type of chemistry, and boom, they fall in love. No one knows why it happens. It just happens. You have this feeling, and you're in love. It's a wonderful thing. We don't know how we got it. We just hope it sticks around. And if it stops sticking around, then we'll have to get a divorce because I don't love him or her anymore. Oh, well, that's just what happens. That is not the biblical picture of love. God says love is something different. It's not about what you get. And it's not just a feeling that happens to you. If this were the case, God wouldn't have to command us to love our families. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, do you love your wife like this verse says you need to love your wife? Are you willing to give yourself for your wife? Are you willing to give up anything for your wife? We need to be loving like Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 28 goes on and says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Men, this is a big, a big challenge for us, a big uh, goal here, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We can improve in this area. We're not there yet. We need to be working on our love for our wives. With Christ, we don't have any trouble verifying the, that he does love and cherish the church. Could anyone look at your relationship with your wife and say the same? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, 
even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. We need to make chair because the tables are going to get turned on you next. In Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Women, our wives, are commanded to love their husbands as well. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Women, do you love your husbands like you should? What would the ladies in the neighborhood say based on how they see you speaking and hear about you speaking about your children and your husbands? How would they see you treating them? Would they say you love them based on the way you treat your husband? Again, if love was just about something we get or a feeling we have, God wouldn't have to command us to love our family, would He? If love was all about us and what we get out of it, we'd be stupid not to love our families. But love isn't all about us and about what we get out of it. God tells us that we need to be loving our families. And it's not just a feeling that we have. You can't command feelings, can you? Love is about what we do, about how we treat each other. And we need to be working on that. And it's not just husbands loving wives and wives loving husbands. Parents need to be loving their children as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse uh, 1, beginning, in a verse that we looked at this morning, in that terrible list, we won't read it again, that terrible list of traits that people would have as they wander farther and farther from God. Notice it says they're without natural affection. Without natural affection. Natural affection says that parents should love and care for their children. Sadly, many in our society today are not doing that. Natural affection is the hen who has chicks and does everything she can to perfect, protect those chicks. If you've never seen that, it's a beautiful thing. That hen, her job in this world is to make sure that those chicks are protected. And those chicks have everything that they need. And so it should be with us, with our children. Our love for our children needs to make sure that those kids are protected and they get everything that they need. And they get everything they need spiritually. We need to make sure we're doing that. But children, you're not off the hook either. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Do you honor your father and your mother? Are you showing it by the way you treat them? Are you treating your father and mother with love? We understand that we should love our family. If anyone asks us, we'd emphatically state that we love our family. How dare you ask if I love my family? I, of course, love my family. But are we acting that way? Or are we acting selfishly and uncaringly? Love, and especially love for our family, goes farther than just words, farther than just claiming that we love our family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If I love my family, I'm going to act in ways towards them that show it. It's not just saying that I love my family. It's living it. It's the way that I act. I'll tell you, the scriptures are not unclear about how big a problem this is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that you should, we should love one another. That's how big this is. And I'll tell you how big it is in our families, how big a problem and challenge it is to our faith. There will be people sadly, who will lose their soul because they don't love their family like they should. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This is a huge problem. We need to be aware of it in our family. Have we talked about any family troubles that make it a little close to home tonight? I've talked about some that hit close to home to me. And hope that I've talked about some that have hit close to home for you as well. Because our families are the most important thing we have here on earth. And we need to make sure that we're living like we should in our families. 
taking great care and caution with how I use my tongue with my family. Being very careful to make sure that I'm providing for the needs of my family. And being very diligent about forgiving my family because my family's going to need forgiveness and they're going to need a lot of it. Making sure that we have the right priorities in our family. And making sure that our actions do towards our family are directed and, and uh, uh, instructed by our love for them. There are numerous problems that we face in our families today. And these problems challenge our faith as we looked. Each one of these problems can cause us to lose our soul in hell. These are basic problems. We haven't talked about the quote-unquote big problems today. We've talked about the fundamental family 101 problems. But I want to tell you, if we have these problems in our family, they'll open the door for those bigger problems that we know of. Perhaps you realize tonight that there's some of these problems in your family that you've been overlooking. Please correct them immediately. Your family needs it. Your soul and the souls of your family could be at stake. We need to echo the sentiment of Joshua in Joshua 24, verse 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we'll have this attitude, we will have the families that God wants us to have. And more importantly, we'll be in pleasing to Him today and rewarded for our faith in eternity. Can we make this resolve that me and my house are going to serve the Lord? We're going to be diligent about addressing the problems that we've talked about tonight. And we're going to be diligent about following God's will in every aspect of our lives so that our families can be what God would have them to be. I hope the things we've talked about tonight have been helpful. We've got a lot of work to do. The devil's attacking us from every front. Let's make sure that we're on guard and we're diligent about resisting his attacks. If there's anything that we can do to help you spiritually tonight, will you let us know while we stand and sing?